Well, good morning, Woodland. Good morning. Was yesterday a good day? How many of you ever heard a song when you were growing up called, He's Got the Whole World in His Hands? Remember that song? As long, as far back as I can remember, that's one of my favorite songs. And I can recall, because I was in the hospital so much, this is where my memories of it are mostly, is my mom singing it to me or my dad singing it to me through the bars of those old-fashioned hospital beds they had. And, and that's just been one of those songs in my conscious, subconscious that sometimes I'll find myself, you know, singing it, not even knowing why it's just come up out of my heart and bubbled up out of my spirit. I can remember the first time I saw the picture of the earth from outer space. And in my mind, immediately, I thought, the invisible hands of God. They've got this whole world in their hands. I was just a student in school. Then I can also have this song in mind that we sang when I was growing up. I was actually a teenager when I first remember hearing this song. We was talking about God's invisible hands. Invisible hands are waiting to guide me. Invisible hands will carry me through. Have faith in the Lord. He's always beside you for his invisible hands will support you and take you through. The hands of God have always fascinated me. People's hands have always fascinated me. I don't know if you remember the Seinfeld commercial where George, I mean, not to episode where George became a hand model. Do you remember that one? And, you know, that was just a real funny episode. But hands have always, sometimes when I shake people's hands, I can feel their calloused hands. I tell a lot about of them. Sometimes when I shake your hand and it's a um, really soft, pudgy hand, I can tell a lot about you as well. It's just hands just mean so much. There have been country music songs. Daddy's hands, soft and tender. Daddy's hands, hardest. Thank you. There is one country music fan in this church. You and I are going to heaven. Anyway, I'm sorry. That wasn't nice. But uh, the hands are just, they've always fascinated me. One of the things that this passage of Scripture that Pastor Corey read to us this morning is that I am in God's hands. You're in God's hands. God's hands are supporting you. God's hands are guiding you. God's hands are carrying you through. You're not alone. God is with you. And though you may not see his hands, they're invisible hands, God's hands are there. Because of my fascination with hands, one day I decided years and years ago, long before I moved to Michigan, to do a study on the hands of God. And it was interesting to me and fascinating that God spoke everything into existence, and, but he fashioned us and he formed us, you know, and I believe by whatever method, somehow or another, it involved his fashioning and forming us with his hands. It's, I, as I thought and imagined, I imagined the invisible hand of God as he parted the Red Seas, he parted the Jordan River, the invisible hand of God that provided manna in the wilderness for the children of Israel. I imagine the hands of God as, as he routed the enemies of Israel in those impossible battles. I was in the seventh grade when the 1967 war hit and Israel and was attacked by all of her enemies. And I remember, does anybody remember a weekly reader? And did y'all have those up here? We had these little newspapers called weekly readers. And I love those. And by the way, if you're interested, you're a parent, I can tell you about a God's world weekly type of reader. It's a weekly reader thing, uh, kind of on a children's base. I'll be happy to tell you how you can get a hold of those for your children, but they're fascinating. Um, I'm, when my boys, grandsons get a little older, I'll be subscribing for them. But I remember how that people were just amazed. Israel should have been totally overwhelmed by their enemies and the invasion. 
And it was as though the invisible hand of God protected them as they were there. I got to the New Testament, and I studied the hands of God. And there you see God, Jesus, very God of God, Jesus taking with his little hands, and he's clutching the breast of his mother as he nurses for his nourishment. The invisible hands of God suddenly become visible to us, and we see what God is really like as, as God comes along in Christ, and those that nobody wanted to touch because of their contagious diseases, Jesus was willing to lay hands upon them. And perhaps for the first time in decades, there were men and there were women who felt the touch of Jesus' hands upon their lives. And we know that babies will die without human touch. We know that people die sooner without human touch in their lives. There's this connectivity that we have through those sensors in our skin that we're, we're touched. And you see Jesus touching the untouchable. You see Jesus touching the blinded eyes and they're healed. You see Jesus touching the, the lame and they're healed. You see Jesus' hands as he blesses a little boy's lunch that feeds the thousands. You see God's hands as they are stretched out upon a cross and they're crucified for your sins. And you see him on the resurrection when Thomas is doubting and he says, Thomas, don't doubt any longer, but put your fingers right here into the scars in my hand that was pierced by those nails for you. And friends, it is the hands of God that continually sustain us. And when I think of this, Paul says in Ephesians 3.1, and then he repeats that in Ephesians 3.14, when I think of all of this, I fall to my knees and I pray to the Father. I am here to tell you, think about the hands of God. God God will pull you through if you can stand the pulling. And that's the key, if you can stand the pulling. I remember when I climbed Iguazu Falls in, on the border of Argentina and Paraguay, I remember climbing the world's largest waterfalls and my Indian guide and missionary friend who took me up that and I was scraped and scratched all over when we got to the top of it but I can remember I wanted to give up and go back down and the little Guadani Indian man who was all muscle, he said to me, Pastor, it will be worth it when we get to the top. Here, let me pull you and he would reach down and take me and just literally pull me up the face of those rocks. And I want to tell you, it was worth it when I got to the top of those falls and I could see them in their magnificence. I want you to know if you can stand the pulling, God will pull you through anything. And when you come through your battle, you will be grateful for the hands of God that pulled you through. Don't give up and don't retreat. God is still in control. Can you say amen this morning? <laughs> Hallelujah. The second thing I want you to see from this passage that Pastor Corey read to you is that because of God's hands and because of God's grace, we've been given a special responsibility. I like that word, responsibility. I think the more accurate Greek word is we've been given a stewardship or we've been given an administration, but maybe let's think for just a moment because it works. The word responsibility, a stewardship is responsibility. We just tithed and gave of our offerings. We were being stewards of our money. If you were taking care of your family, you were being a steward of your family. If you took care of your home this week and did some home projects or took care of your lawn, you were being a steward. You have a responsibility to do so. Anyway, we've been given a special responsibility. A few years ago, as a matter of fact, in 2016, 
The Boston Globe carried a story about a little boy who wanted to be a police officer. And he was sitting in his child seat in the back seat of the car when his daddy ran a red light. And so when they got home, he called 911. And he told them, and it's recorded. It was all reprinted in the Boston Globe. He says, my daddy ran a red light today and my mommy's brand new car and I'm calling to report it. So the police came out and visited their home. And thankfully, he didn't get a citation. He didn't get a ticket. They gave the little boy a badge and made a big deal out of him. And then the Boston Globe came out and interviewed them when they got wind of it. And they asked the little boy why he did it. He says, because my daddy broke the law. And it's my responsibility to report people who break the law. I'm going to be a policeman. They said, well, what are you going to do if your daddy runs another red light? He says, I'm going to call the eye doctor and have him fix his eyes. I want your eyes fixed this morning. I want your eyes fixed upon Jesus. I, I want your eyes fixed upon the grace of God that God has given to you and I a special responsibility. And it is a privilege for God to give us a responsibility to share his good news. Can you say amen? Look at this, Ephesians 3, 2. God gave me the special responsibility of extending his grace to you Gentiles. Look at that word. Circle it, if you would, in your, in your outline extending his grace, you get to give to people the love and the grace and the peace of Jesus Christ. And then thirdly, the way I do this is by sharing the good news of Jesus Christ. It's, it's how I serve God. It's how you serve God. It's what Paul has been writing all about in this book. Let's not forget. Let's go back and review for just a second. This was a church Paul's writing a letter to the church 20 years after it was founded. It was founded in the midst of horrible persecution. It was founded in the midst where members were being beaten up, leaders were being beaten up for becoming followers of Jesus Christ. And there were businessmen and merchants in the town because their business was falling off because of the Christians not worshiping idols anymore that were persecuting the church. But this was a church that 20 years later they had kind of grown content and were not doing what God had called them to do. And whenever, listen, whenever you're not focused upon what God has called you to do, you'll begin to fight and scrap with each other. And the first three chapters, this has all been about theology. This has all been about who God is and who we are. And these final three chapters, this will be how we apply it. Ephesians 4, 5, and 6. It's what I call the growth work on your outlines. It will be the application of everything Paul has told us because this church has become fractured. And evidently, there was a revival. Evidently, they repented and they began to get focused on the ministry of sharing the good news with lost people again. But 40 years later, the Apostle John will write them because Jesus has spoken to him and told the Ephesians, you've lost your first love. And it's important that we remember always what God has done for us and we keep those fires, we keep that passion and that love for Jesus alive in our lives. Ephesians 3, 7 says, by God's grace and mighty power, I have been given the privilege, say that word with me, privilege, say it again, privilege of serving him by spreading this good news. Now, as Paul breaks this out in chapter 3 and in chapters 4, 5, and 6, you understand it's not just Paul that's been given the privilege, but we as the body of Christ, we've been given the privilege because we become God's hands in this lost world. We become the ones who bring the love, bring the grace, bring the peace of Jesus. 
in the late 70s and the early 80s when the HIV scare first hit the United States and suddenly we were aware that there was the possibility of blood transfusions becoming infected by HIV and we weren't sure whether HIV could be passed other than uh, through bodily fluids. Maybe it could be passed by the use of a glass or the use of a toilet. The governor of Georgia asked Becky and I to be a part or to represent the state of Georgia to a national convention where we were addressed by politicians, we were addressed by uh, people from the CDC, by the head of Walter Reed Hospital. And I remember as we went through all of this and learned all the reasons why we didn't need to panic about the HIV scare, and we learned all the reasons why, uh, how HIV was contracted. And I remember sitting one night in that big auditorium with Becky, surrounded by wonderful people, and saying to her, you know what? If you just live for God, if you obey God's commandments, if you live the way Jesus called you to live, the only thing you've got to be frightened of is the possibility that you could contract HIV through a blood transfusion. And since then, we've learned how to screen for that. And aren't you glad for science? Aren't you glad for people who spend their lives working that way so that we can receive uh, the blood transfusions like my little grandson has to receive every month and getting blood transfusions in his body? I'm so thankful for the work that they do. But you see, friends, when you live for God, when you keep your life in God's hands, there is a place that you can live for you are protected from the things of this world because greater is he that is within you than he that is within this world. Can we give him a hand of praise for that this morning? I think we forget what our lives were like before Christ and after Christ. I think we forget what God has really done for us. And here's just a few things that God has done for us that we have already learned in the book of Ephesians. Before Christ, I was dead in my transgressions and sin. And after Christ, I was made alive with Christ. Before Christ, I followed the ways of this world. But after Christ, after I've been born again, I stand for Christ in truth. Before Christ, because of my sin, I was an object of God's wrath. But after having received Christ, I've been shown God's mercy and given salvation. Before Christ, I was an enemy of God. But when I trusted Christ, Christ adopted me into his family. You are a daughter of God or a son of God. Before Christ, I was enslaved to Satan. I didn't even realize it but I was enslaved to the devil. But now I am free in Christ and free to serve him. Can we give him one more hand of praise for that? May we never, never, ever forget what God has saved us from. Once in a while we need to remember, once in a while we need to remind ourselves of where we were at before Jesus and what God has done in our lives. And this privilege of sharing the good news. Friends, don't ever forget how wonderful that is. Corey Ten Boom, who suffered tremendously for her faith for, in Jesus Christ, who protected Jews during the, during the Nazi occupation of Holland. Corey, whose sister died in a prison camp with her. Corey, whose parents died because of their faith in Jesus Christ. Corey wrote these words, there is no pit so deep that Jesus is not deeper still. And there may be times that God calls you to walk through the furnace. There may be times that God calls you to walk through the furnace. There there may be times that God causes you to walk through a pit that you don't want to walk through. As a boy, I remember J.W. Tucker, who became a missionary from the state of Georgia. And every time I look at these young missionaries that I interview, for some reason I go all the way back to, we called him Brother Tucker. 
And he was from a tiny little town in Georgia that God raised him up. And he went to the Congo as a missionary. And he was there in 1964, in the early 1960s, when the Congolese Civil War broke out. And in 1963, he decided that God had called him to go into the area occupied by the guerrillas and the communists, and it wasn't a safe place to go. Morris Plot, the director of missions, says, J.W., if you go in there, you will not come out. And J.W. said these words that Morris recorded and wrote down. He said, Morris... God called me to go in. He never said anything about going out. And so he left his family in the safe part of Congo and went in and for over a year was able to preach the gospel and establish a church and revival broke out and people were coming to Christ and the communists decided they didn't like it. So they bound Brother Tucker hand and feet and had him facing a crocodile infested river while they screamed and mocked and laughed him about, at him about his God. And then they tossed him to the crocodiles but I want you to know, I believe with everything that was in me. Like Stephen in Acts chapter 7 when they martyred him, that Brother Tucker must have seen Jesus rise to his feet and welcome him into the presence of heaven. If you can stand the pulling, it's going to be worth it when we get to the top. Never give up because of a furnace. Never give up because of a pit. Never give up because of any enemy. Because God will pull you through. Remember where you came from and remember where you're going in Jesus Christ today. Hallelujah. Martin Lloyd-Jones says, we have not been merely saved that we might escape hell. We have been saved in order that God may present a people which will astonish the whole world. I don't know about you, but I am praying over our congregation, God, will you astonish our communities? Would you astonish our world through the people who love you here at Woodland Church? Would you astonish people in Brownstown and Woodhaven and Taylor and New Boston and Flat Rock and Newport? God, would you astonish people with the power of the gospel at work in our lives? I want God to be glorified through the ministries of Woodland, and I know you do as well. Which brings me to something then that is very, very important. I want to talk to you for a few minutes about prayer, prayer and humility, because as Corey read to you a few moments ago, prayer is so much a part of this. You see, we've been given access to the Father through the blood of Jesus, His Son, and we are invited several times in the New Testament, we're invited to boldly come and to kneel and to talk to God with a yielded heart. We're invited to boldly come and kneel and talk to him with a very yielded heart and a humble heart. I know I've said it often, but it's because I want you to remember. Kneeling reminds me of who I am and reminds me of who God is. I ask you every day, every week, kneel. If you're physically able, kneel in the presence of the Lord. Whether you kneel in the morning or kneel in the evening or kneel at lunchtime, but kneel in the presence of the Lord. I do my best praying when I'm walking. I'm able to focus more when I'm walking. I walk this sanctuary. I walk my subdivision. I walk the subdivision across the street from the church. But you walk, I, it's how I pray best. But last night, there were so, and we had such a wonderful prayer meeting here at the church last night. But last night, Karen, we were praying for you. 
Last night, we were praying for Rocky, who's in surgery right now at South Shore Hospital. Last night, we were bringing all of these various needs that were on our prayer request, and I found myself where it just didn't seem appropriate to walk, and all I could do was kneel in the presence of the Lord, and somehow kneeling at God's throne, there was this sense of His hand. There was this sense of His invisible hand, being with Rocky, being with you, Karen, being with others. There was this sense that God was here and God was answering and I hope you have that conviction in your heart don't miss it Lisa don't miss it this morning Christy that when you pray God hears you Tom and when you pray God answers your prayers and it may not always be the way you want your prayer to be answered if you remember how I've taught you about prayers answers say them with me God answers prayer by saying sometimes yes Sometimes no, sometimes wait, and sometimes you got to be kidding me. You know, it's like when your kid comes in and asks you for some things, you just look at him, and it's not because it's not within your power to do it. You go, you got to be kidding me. You think I'm going to do that right now? You see, God always answers prayer. Many times in my prayer journal, I mark when I pray. And by the way, when you turn in prayer requests, Please let us know that God has answered your prayer. There are some things we struck off because people had never told us. If you ask us to pray, we're going to pray. Can you say amen to that? So let us know when God answers prayer this morning because there's a lot of other people that need prayer as well. But just mark the time that you begin to pray. But kneel and talk to God about whatever's on your mind. One of the little missionary candidates, I say, I shouldn't say, young missionary candidates that I was talking to this week, I said, tell me about your prayer life. I was just inquiring about their prayer life and their devotional life, and, and I just loved the way they said what they said. They said, you know, I, I take my Bible daily and my journal, and here they have a full-time job and other responsibilities. Says, I take my Bible daily and I study and I write down my thoughts from the Bible and then I just kneel and I talk to God about whatever's on my mind. I talk to God about whatever I've just read. Didn't make it complicated. I said, do you know God listens? And their face just lit up and says, oh, if you've got time, let me tell you some of the prayers God has answered. You see, God hears a humble heart. Access to God doesn't mean presumption. Access to God doesn't mean rudeness. Sometimes when I listen to some of the popular preachers on radio or television, I worry just a little bit. I don't think they mean to. But I listen to one saying, go in and demand your rights before God. Go in and demand what His Word says. Go in. You don't demand anything from God. You come into his presence humbly. God dwells with those of a broken and crushed spirit. God says, humble yourselves in the presence of the Lord, and he will lift you up in due time. God says, humble yourselves in his presence, and he will crush Satan underneath your feet. Can we give him a hand of praise for that as well this morning? You say, well, Pastor... What about all this kneeling? Look at with me at a few verses here. When I think of all this, I, I fall to my knees and I pray to the Father, the creator of everything in heaven and on earth, and I pray that from his glorious unlimited resources, 
He will empower you with inner strength through his spirit. Look at that. Glorious, unlimited resources, and he will empower you with inner strength through his spirit. Circle that word empower in your outline. That's who you're kneeling for. Jesus Though he was the son of God, though he was very God himself, it's God talking to God. That, that's what it is. He's the son of God. He kneels in the presence of the Lord. Look at Jesus in Luke 22 in verse 41. He walked away about a stone's throw and knelt down and prayed. I love the humility of our Savior. I love the humility of our Lord. Chan Gailey, who used to be the coach at a very, very bad, horrible school in Georgia called Georgia Tech, eternal enemies of the Bulldogs. Chan Gailey was coaching at Georgia Tech and they were getting ready to play for a national championship and he was on his way to a, uh, practice and just as he was walking out of his office, his secretary called him and said, uh, Sports Illustrated is on the phone and he says, I don't have time to talk to him now, I'm late for practice and he's headed out and he's, as he's headed out, she's saying, it's Sports Illustrated and he said, suddenly in my mind I thought, oh, they want to do a story about me. Suddenly in my mind, I thought, there's going to be a three-page spread and my picture is going to be on the cover of Sports Illustrated magazine. And he told his secretary, practice can wait. And he turned right around, went in and picked up the, the telephone. He says, this is Chan Gailey. They says, this is Sports Illustrated. We're calling to remind you that your subscription has expired. <laughs> we have this tendency to exalt ourselves. We have this tendency to make big of ourselves. Friends, God has got a way of bringing us back down to earth and reminding us of who he is, of who he is and who we are. And when I kneel in his presence, I remind myself without him having to remind me, I don't want God to humble me. I want to humble myself before the Lord and feel the good hand of God lift me up to a higher plane in Jesus Christ. Can you say amen? Stephen knelt and he fell to his knees shouting in Acts chapter 60, Lord, don't charge them with his sin. And with that, he died. Peter knelt. Peter asked them all to leave the room and then he knelt and prayed, turning to the body. He says, get up, Tabitha. And she opened her eyes. When she saw Peter, she sat up. God had healed her. And then finally, Paul knelt. He says, when he had finished speaking, Paul knelt and he prayed with them. Never, never discount the power of humility. Number five, the Holy Spirit then empowers me to live successfully. He empowers me to live successfully. You know, I learned a long time ago, long time ago, I could either be a success or I could be a failure. Now, here's what I learned. There were a lot of people they would criticize you for being a success. There aren't many people that would criticize you to be a failure. I would much rather get the criticism and be successful than to be a failure and nobody even know I was there. You see, there's something about a Christian full of the Holy Spirit, people know you're there. There's something about a believer full of the power of God, they know you're there. There's something about praying. One of the men in our church was telling me the story about how one man came to him and says, I know you're praying for me. Stop it. He says, how do you know I'm praying for you? I am praying. He says, because I'm feeling bad about things I never felt bad about before, and it's your fault. That's called conviction. <laughs> 
You see, there's something about a Christian. God empowers you to live successfully. Listen to this. I pray that from his glorious and unlimited resources, he will empower you with his inner strength through his spirit. I don't say these things just to say them. But here's what you need to know. What I believe, my beliefs shape my destiny. My beliefs shape my future. My beliefs shape who I'm going to be. My beliefs shape my marriage. My beliefs shape my children. My beliefs shape my subdivision and it shapes my community. It's always amazing to me that there are people that have never been to Woodland Church, but they know Becky, they don't even know me. And they'll say, this is my pastor's wife. And they've never been to church, and I don't even know who they are. But she's her pastor's wife because of the power of the relationship building that she's been doing in their lives and by coming and representing Jesus to them. You see, the Holy Spirit, he empowers you. And when you believe that God is with you, when you believe his invisible hands will carry you through, when you kneel in his presence, when you realize God has got this, your beliefs then begin to shape your future. It begins to shape how you see your problems. He begins to shape how you see the challenges that you face. Suddenly, you become more than a conqueror through Christ Jesus. God declares already that you are more than a conqueror. But until you have the conviction that you are more than a conqueror, you will never live like more than a conqueror because it's convictions that bring us confidence. Somebody say amen this morning. It is convictions that bring us confidence. You see, when I compromise my convictions, I shake my confidence. When I compromise my convictions, I weaken my confidence. But when I live according to the beliefs, especially these first three chapters, and I've not said this to be gross in this series, but I've said it over and over, these first three chapters take us into the very nosebleed section of the stands of understanding who God is who we are, and who the church is. Romans 8, 26 and 27, look at this with me, please. And the Holy Spirit helps us in our weakness. Now, that's good to know, isn't it? Anybody in here ever been weak before? You don't have to raise your hand, but are you feeling weak this morning? I mean, are you discouraged? There's help. And if the Holy Spirit is one that's helping you, there ain't no devil in hell big enough to stand in your way. You may go through the pit. You may go through the fire. You may go through the floodwaters. But there ain't no devil in hell big enough to stop you. Those three Hebrew children in the Old Testament, they said, our God is able to deliver us. But if he doesn't deliver us, we are still not going to bow before your idol. That's conviction. That gives confidence to face the fiery furnace. And the Holy Spirit helps us in our weakness. For example, we don't know what God wants us to pray for, but the Holy Spirit prays for us with groanings that cannot be expressed in words. Have you ever just groaned in prayer? Maybe you're groaning in prayer right now. I've had those times in my life when I haven't known how to pray. But because of the example of my mother and dad and hearing them moan sometime, not knowing how to pray, hearing mother during the day, mm, mm, Jesus, mm. Mama, what's wrong? Are you sick? No, I, I just don't know how to pray. And it's that moaning. The Holy Spirit 
helps us. He prays for us with groanings, things that you can't even express in words. And the Father, and the Father who knows your heart and my heart, who knows all hearts, knows what the Spirit is saying. For the Spirit pleads for believers in harmony with God's own will. God has not called you to fail. God has called you to succeed. And if you can stand the pulling, God is going to pull you through this morning. Hallelujah. That is conviction this morning. Who doesn't want this kind of confidence? The Holy Spirit Galatians 5, the Holy Spirit produces this kind of fruit in our lives. Love, love, joy, peace, patience. How many of you men, don't raise your hand. Don't even say amen. Just smile at me. How many of you men like your wife to be a little more patient with you? Don't raise your hand. Don't raise your hand. How many of you wives would like your husbands to be a little more patient with you? I mean, who doesn't want this? Love, joy, peace, patience. Kindness, goodness, faithfulness. Anybody need to be good? Teenager told me one time, Brother Dennis, it's just hard to be good sometime. I said, why? Because being bad is fun. <laughs> Another teenager told Becky one time, we were youth pastors. Somebody hadn't done something they had promised to do and they showed up and we had a big outreach event. <laughs> Teenager looked at Becky and says, go ahead and cuss, Becky. It'll make you feel better. <laughs> Sometimes I need his help to be good, to be kind. I mean, who, who doesn't want this? Faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Look at Ephesians 1.19. I also pray that you will understand the incredible greatness of God's power. I mean, it's like Paul just says, I've got to use all these adjectives so you'll understand the incredible greatness of God's power for us who believe Him. This is the kind of power at work in your life. This is the same power that raised Christ from the dead and seated Him in the place of honor at God's right hand in the heavenly realms. No weapon formed against you is going to prosper. Everything that's under Christ's feet is under the feet of the church. I think we ought to give Him one more hand of praise for that this morning. Well, here's dessert. You got a two-course dessert now. Number six, this means then that God, now I'm, it's not that I'm saying this, this, is what the Bible says, that God will accomplish infinitely more than I'll ever ask. In other words, there's nothing you're going to ask that's too big. There's nothing you're going to ask that's too great. This summer on our sabbatical, Becky and I drove down to South Georgia and there's a little town called Adele, Georgia. Yankees call it Adele. That's a singer from England. This is Adele, Georgia. But there's a lumber company on the side that back in the 70s and 80s when I lived down there, there was a man there that he owned that company, very wealthy. He asked his daughter what she wanted for graduation. She says, a stereo. And you know, it broke his heart. He said, I could give my daughter anything in the world, and all she wants is a lousy stereo. God is able to accomplish infinitely more than anything you can ever ask. And think. Isn't that what it says? Or think. I think it's time for us to start thinking before we start asking. I think it's time 
Three times Paul has already mentioned this word think in Ephesians chapter 3. It's time for us to start thinking some big thoughts, thinking some big requests, thinking of the healing of marriages and the healing of homes, the healings of diseases, the healing of our nation. America needs revival. The racism in America needs a cure that only Jesus can bring. The poverty in our world needs a cure that only Jesus can bring. The disease in our world that needs a cure that only Jesus can bring. The heartbreak in our world needs a cure that only Jesus can bring. Ladies and gentlemen, there is an answer to the hurts and the problems of this world. And it's not more money, it's not more education, it's the good news of Jesus Christ. What God did yesterday, God can still do today and what God is doing today, he will do tomorrow. Our God is able to infinitely remember Buzz Lightyear to infinity and beyond. God is able to go further than you've ever dreamed in answering your prayers. It's time to think some big thoughts about God. Can we give him another hand of praise? You say, Pastor, how do I do that? Well, think upon the word. You know that the Bible says that faith cometh by hearing and hearing by the Word of God. Listen to what the Spirit is saying. Listen to this message this morning. Listen to what the Word is saying. Ephesians is making it clear to us. Corinthians makes it clear to us. John makes it clear to us. The three epistles of John make it clear to us. The book of Revelation makes it clear to us. From Genesis to Revelation, the theme of the Bible is God's love for you and me and God's love for a lost world. It is time for us to listen to the heartbeat of God's amazing love. God is not angry at this world, for God so loved this world that whosoever should think about and believe that Jesus Christ is the Son of God, that individual would be saved. Please give him one more hand of praise this morning. <laughs> Hallelujah. So here are four questions I'd like you to think about that I wrote down for you. Number one, are you praying for unlimited possibilities? Are you praying for unlimited possibilities? There's a young lady in our back of our church this morning sitting about where you're sitting there, uh, Dean and Camilla. Her name is Haley. She just beams with the love of Jesus. She got a smile that lights up a room. And I looked right at Haley in this message, and I'd like to say to you the same thing I said to Haley. And that is that the possibilities are unlimited for you if you put your faith in Jesus Christ. The possibilities. Don't let anybody put a lid on your dreams. Don't let anybody put a lid on your faith. Don't let anybody tell you how far you can go in life. Don't let anybody tell you what you can do. This week in one of my uh, tests that I had done, one of my new doctors was looking over my reports and he looked at me and he said, this can't be. And I says, what can't be? And he's reading the notes and I said, well, it is. And he says, it can't be, though. This just doesn't happen. And I said, well, it is. That's why I'm here sitting in front of you. And then I told him what his predecessor, who's retired, said to me. He says, you don't exist. And he looked at me and he says, I guess it just proves one thing. Doctors don't know everything. I like a humble man who understands we can't be limited by what we see or what we read. Our God is able to do infinitely more than we would ever ask, dream, or think. Are you asking God for unlimited possibilities? Secondly, are your prayers believing for the fullness of God in his abundance? I'm not talking about how to get a, a bigger house or a bigger car. You can do that, but that's not 
not the point. Do you want more of Jesus? It's more of Jesus that's the answer. Do you want more of his spirit? There is nothing wrong for praying for a fresh filling of the Holy Spirit because over and over in the book of Acts, the church was being refilled. And then write down, what are your desires in prayer? Are there desires you're not expressing because of your doubts? Start doubting your doubts and start believing your faith. Start believing the word of God. And then finally, how is your thought life this morning? Because your thinking is so important to what you do. Your thinking matters. Just a few moments ago, I shared with you, your beliefs shape your destiny. Your beliefs shape your future. Your beliefs, give, listen, your beliefs give you your convictions. Your convictions give you your confidence. And it all begins with your thought life. That's the reason the Bible says, think upon these things. Amen? And then finally this morning, now when I say finally, pay attention all the way through. Do not unbuckle your seatbelt until the plane gets to the gate and the pilot turns the seatbelt light off. I will give God all the glory. I will give God all the glory. It's often been said, if you don't care who gets the credit, you can get anything done. Could I take that statement and modify it just a little bit? If you will not touch the glory, but if you will give God all the glory, the possibilities are limited to you. Make much of Jesus Christ. Make much of him every day. Boldly proclaim his praise. Live boldly. When we come together, and I watched the band this morning as they played. Mark, Mark, thank you for the way you played and ministered to the Lord. I watched little Maggie up here this morning. The Bible says in Hebrews, talks about the sacrifice of praise. That baby was going crazy in the first service. You could see her tummy just, and she was holding her back. And I thought, there is somebody truly bringing the sacrifice. You scared me after the second service. I sent Becky to chase you down. And I, I didn't know if you were about to have that baby or not. And, and uh, just the sacrifice. I looked at these young people over here. And, I started, couldn't help it. Their hands were lifted up in the Lord. And moms and dads, thank you for having devotions. If you don't try to take the credit for that, it's not about how good a pastor I am, how good a pastor or parent you are, or how good a boss you are, or how good an employee you are. Let's make much about Jesus. When we come into this house, let's make a joyful noise into his name. Let's celebrate his love. Paul says, now all glory to God, who is able through his mighty power at work within us to accomplish infinitely more than we might ask or think. Glory to him in the church and in Christ Jesus through all generations forever and ever. Amen. I want my grandchildren, my great-grandchildren, I want them giving glory to God. Let's stand to our feet and praise him this morning, would you? Hallelujah. Come on, church. We bless your name, Lord. We bless your holy name. Hallelujah. 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 Hallelujah, hallelujah. Well, Father, we come to this time where we give our prayers and our praise to you. We sang it this morning. It's who you are. You are a good, good God. 
You're a wonderful Heavenly Father. <laughs> God, how kind you have been. And there are those of us in this room that we can testify there is nothing impossible with you. What is impossible with men, even as our Savior said, is possible with God. And to you belongs all the glory and all the honor and all the praise. Lord, I ask you that you would shine brilliantly in our lives this week. Not because of anything we try to do, but just in how we live, in our speech, in our conversation. God, you've made us stewards of this grace. May we have that childlike faith of that little boy who already understood the stewardship of a police officer. God, may we understand we have a stewardship of grace to share your love. Now, I've been thinking, Lord, and this is a big ask. I pray that everyone that has been at Woodland today in both services, that you're going to give them an opportunity to share their faith story. What you mean to them, what you've done for them. And somewhere along the line, they'll glorify you. God, I pray that it doesn't happen out of guilt, like they feel like they've got to do it. I pray that somebody doesn't listen to them out of guilt because they feel like they've got to listen. I just pray it'll come up naturally. And I ask for the grace upon those of us who share our story and those who listen that the invisible hand of God will draw that person to the cross. No matter where they are, what they've done, who they are, draw them to the cross. Will you agree with me on that this morning, church? Now, if you're not a follower of Jesus, or maybe you've wandered away from your faith, and like the Lord will say to the Ephesians, 40 years later, you've lost your first love. I'm just going to invite you to either put your faith in Him, recommit your life to the Lord, whatever you call it, but pray this prayer with me. And you just pray it quietly. Lord Jesus, I've been thinking this morning. No one's ever loved me like you love me. No one can remove my sins but you. I've been thinking, I want to know this love and this peace. I want the power of God that helps me to live this brand new life. I don't understand it all. But today I profess my faith in you and I ask you come into my life forgive my sins 
and make me a brand new man or woman. So as much as I know how, I give you my heart today. In Jesus' name. And I'm telling you, if you prayed that, and I think some of you just did, I, my heart is just jumping up and down inside of me, but the Bible says even the angels of heaven are rejoicing. There's nobody looking around but just me. But if you prayed that, would you lift up your hand this morning and say, Pastor, I just want you to know I'm committing my life to Jesus. Just lift it up. God bless you. Yes. Yes. Can we give the Lord a hand of praise this morning? Thank you. Now, here's what I want you to do. We've gone through these first three chapters. Next week, it's going to get very practical. I mean, all of this about God, about us, about who we are, it's going to get extremely practical next week. So I want you, in preparation, I want you to reread these first three chapters and just read chapter four, okay, this week. And as you're reading, just make some notes, journal, and let's come back and see what God wants to do in our lives. Now, Wednesday night, I'm picking back up with a series on Revelation. We're going through Revelation chapter by chapter, and I hope you're going to be here to be a part of that. And also, we've got, I think, just two rooms left for the marriage retreat. So I've written a whole new message for this retreat on communication. Now, don't lift your hand. But every time I talk to couples, one of the challenges I find is, how do we communicate? I find myself, pastor, sitting in front of my husband and we put our phones aside like you said, but we don't know what to talk about. Or if we start to talk, we end up disagreeing. We're gonna talk about communication, how to communicate, ways to communicate. And this is gonna be a great retreat over at the shack. And something even better than that, it's the one time of year that every single night I get a banana split. And I sin boldly as I eat that banana split. And I want you to come join me. So if you've never been, you need to come be with us in the marriage retreat this year. God bless you. Consider yourselves dismissed this morning.